And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, despite being quite despondent uh, due to allergies and the continued failures of the Canadian men's senior basketball program, Eric Green. Eric, what's up, man? Yeah, you can hear that I've been bawling. I've been crying even more nasal than usual. Uh, man, that was... Uh, it's different with the Raptors in Canada basketball. Uh, I think part of that is because of how long we've talked about Canada basketball's potential. And part of it is that it happened... The, the At least the big stage, the biggest stage, is only available every four years. So that makes each time, you know, the leverage goes up, the meaning goes up. And that was a new way to lose a game. So, uh, yeah. Sure was. So um, we are going to primarily talk about Canada basketball on this podcast. Um, as a reminder, for all our written stuff, you can go to theathletic.com slash Raptors, or if you're not a subscriber yet, theathletic.com slash we the six uh, to get a discounted subscription there. Um, we are going to, you know, the last week has been heavy on Canada basketball stuff as the men's team tried to qualify. We're going to pivot back to, um, you know, your Raptors draft stuff, your Raptors offseason stuff. Uh, and then eventually the the Canadian women's program um, over the next little bit. But today uh, we have to commiserate over Canada basketball. So if you uh, forgot or you weren't following along, uh, Canada was part of a six-team Olympic qualifying tournament in Victoria. The reason they were in this position is because for Olympic qualification, there are only 12 spots in the Olympics. One goes to the host, Japan who uh, Nick Nurse has declared, we're all rooting for now, for Utah and for Takeshi. Um, And then seven spots in that tournament were determined via the World Cup. Um, And that's that's not the top seven necessarily. It's based on zone. But Canada was not high enough ranked in that tournament for the Americas. Uh, So they then got put into um, these four last chance qualifying tournaments. If you've been following the program for a long time, you remember them going to the Philippines in 2016 um, and, you know, losing to France because these tournaments only allow one team uh, to move on to the Olympics. There are four concurrent tournaments for, for those final spots. So Canada hosting in Victoria. Canada basketball, spending the money to, to host, and then the pandemic hits, and uh, for one game only, they could have 10% capacity. You still hope that there's some level of home court advantage? Or, or at least the lack of uh, home court advantage for another game. Yes, I mean, uh, look... Uh, which has been a problem historically as well. Yeah, um, Serbia and Lithuania both playing in finals today as we record this in their home country, so... That's uh that was the the method that was the the intention for Canada 
Um, they started off okay. They Their opener against Greece, they start slowly. We expected that. They played no exhibition games. There's not a lot of continuity on the roster. Only one player held over from the 2019 World Cup. Um, and they come back and, and they... You know, they look like the team we hoped for the second half of that game. And they beat Greece 97-91. And that's the the big first hurdle because their next game's against China, who, you know, you can always lose in these formats. And we saw Uruguay almost uh, pull off multiple upsets. But Canada beats China 109-79. They win the group. This is a very short tournament. It's uh, You play the two round-robin games and then you get cross-matched with the top teams in the other pool. Uh, Canada played the Czech Republic on Saturday. Czech Republic had gotten smoked by Turkey and barely survived uh, a game against Uruguay, which would have changed Canada's matchup uh, had they pulled yeah. that upset off. I, be- I believe they were up by 17 on, on Uruguay in the second quarter, and then Uruguay made a spirited comeback. Uh, yes, and, and missed the, the three buzzer at either, the yeah. buzzer, yeah. Or missed a shot yeah, at the buzzer. Yeah, so they won 80-79 to, to just narrowly get through. Um so if you're wondering how things shake out and just how random a tournament like this is, and this is going to be additionally frustrating for Canadian fans, I think, Greece pounded Turkey last night. Um, so Greece is is sitting in the finals, a team that Canada already beat. Uh, they smoked Turkey, who smoked the Czech Republic, and transitive property doesn't work in basketball, but you have all these factors, and you would have liked Canada's chances against the Czechs. Um, as it were, Canada was outplayed... For most of the game, there were some of the usual FIBA officiating questions, but as we say all the time with the Raptors, or if you're a fan of combat sports, you know, don't don't let it go to the judges' scorecards. If uh, if the game was close enough to swing on one whistle here and there, you, you should have made sure it wasn't that close to begin with. Uh, Canada didn't do that. They shot really poorly all game. Um, they forced a lot of check turnovers, but but couldn't really take advantage of that. They were down 10 with 57 seconds left. Somehow erased that deficit <laughs> to force overtime. Uh, Andrew Wiggins coming up clutch. Andrew Wiggins coming up clutch again in overtime. Uh, but on the final possession of the game, Tomas Shadowanski uh, isolating against Lugans Dort, which if you're Canada and you could pick one defender to defend in that situation it's Dort he defends it incredibly two hands up to to try to block the shot and Sadoransky rainbows it over him off glass and in 103-101 for the Czech Republic so the Czech Republic and Greece will play Sunday in Victoria with the winner going on to the Olympics the Canadian and you skipped the part where Canada got a great look to tie the game on an inbound pass that was sort of the reverse of the OG Adenobi play from the other side of the court. Yes. To a, for a two and a three, and it gets Trey Lyles a very open look, and it goes in and out. Like, uh, yeah, one Czechs got a bad shot, uh, quote-unquote bad shot, from from their best player. Who are you, Paul but a bad George? shot, uh, and they made it. And Canada got a good shot, although not from their best player, and it didn't go in. Yeah, Lyles was uh, Lyles had a rough game. Um, he was on the floor a lot late, in part because Dwight Powell fouled out. Um, Lyles was also, you know, pretty solid yeah. defensively, especially in the second half. He had 11 rebounds, which was a uh, which was a team high on a night where Canada could grab no rebounds. Um, so, you know, Lyles Lyles getting the shot there, well. It's tough in these situations, right? You have 1.8 seconds, so you have to trigger to the guy who's going to shoot. And the opposing team is going to be 
defending your best players really aggressively. So drawing up that play, similar to OG getting that shot against the Celtics, you're picking a guy who is maybe going to be a little open. And uh, Lyles just missed it. Finished the game one for seven. Um, eight. Sorry, I'm getting interrupted by Luna, uh, the dog I'm dog sitting, who is an absolute terror. Um, she was not happy with the outcome last night and tried to chew up my couch about it. Um, so yeah, Canada basketball disappointing themselves, disappointing Eric Green, disappointing Luna. Eric, what more? I don't know, man. It, this was we both wrote about it. It's very dispiriting. Um, what what's your your feeling on it the morning after? Uh, yeah, it's a, um, it's a bummer. I I think the, we'll get to big picture lessons, but if you look at the 45 minutes of that game, it's hard to say that the team, or I should say the team that executed its game plan for more of those minutes won the game. So... You can't shake your fist at the outcome too much, even though we just ran down how the last two possessions played out. Like, there was certainly a bit of randomness there, but I I don't think anybody watched that game and thought the wrong team won, uh, other than, you know, despite those two possessions, despite the officiating uh, that, you know, a snake-bitten Dwight Powell picking up sort of phantom fouls. Not only the phantom fouls, but the, like, so there were the phantom fouls on him. There were the no calls he got at the other end. And then there was also the element of there. there's one play that stood out to me where he has this great defensive possession uh, against Balvin, who's posting him up. Balvin was a, a monster most of that game. Yeah, Powell stands stands him up, defends him well. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker gets called for a foul on like a little touch reach-in. So even when Powell wasn't getting the foul, he was still having his yeah. defensive efforts neutralized. Yeah, and I think, like, the call that everybody will want to argue was the... Lyles. The, uh, yeah, the unsportsmanlike uh, foul on Lyles, which was just, you know, how can something be unsportsmanlike when it's the guy's not even... Yeah, not even looking at him. I, I, as far as I could tell, Trey, Trey Lyles was trying to keep his balance yeah. uh, as opposed to falling to the floor, and his elbow makes contact with... Balvin's head and and you know Balvin's head is way up there yeah. so uh, now, it's, it's, in, it's... in general I'm okay with the rules kind of erring on the side of look when it comes to other people's headshots heads, are bad yeah, yeah. you you have you're responsible to be in control of your body and, and incidental shots to the head are still shots to the head however there's a little bit of letter of the law versus spirit of the law with these things and we got because it's FIBA, uh, we got to hear the referees arguing over it, and we got to hear the one referee overrule the other referee who didn't think it was unsportsmanlike. Uh, yeah, it was like, pretty frustrating. But like, like again, it, I would so go yeah. ahead. I would just say like, I agree with you when it's like reckless and careless. Then yeah, like like make players think about it. But what is a player supposed to do yeah. when he's falling down? And he trips other over than his to try- teammate in the yeah, air. Yeah, other than to try and stop himself from falling down. Like, it's... You can't rule out... You can't... You know, make fouls against human... You know, basic human 
instinct to not fall. <laughs> like, it's, it's just insane. Saying that, it got, instead of two fouls, of two free throws for Balvin, it gave the checks four free throws. And possession. Uh, and possession. They made three of those free throws, promptly turned it over. So it's not as if the worst case scenario played out, but, you know, that's one extra point and a few extra seconds. You can't play the whole, you know, they would have won by one if that didn't happen because the butterfly effect and all that crap, yeah. but it's still, you know, frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and they, frustrating. they would have won by like uh, 60 if they hit all their threes. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's the lesson. Like, like, and I think, so though you asked me what my reaction is and it's mostly what you said. It's like, you don't like it pitch better. Yeah. Um, and, and we've talked about this pit, a lot the with pitch the Raptors in the playoffs yeah. some years too. And, and like, you know, every fan base in basketball thinks the, the refs have it out for them and they have the wrong end of free throws and stuff. But the real takeaway is that you can't leave yourself in positions where one whistle swings the game, right? And it, yeah. that's obviously this is a this is a hard tournament. Qualifying for the Olympics is a hard thing to do. Otherwise, the Canadian men would have done it since 2000. But yeah, you, you know, you entered this game as a pretty significant favorite. You were the favorite in the tournament. And it's not like you're not the team that is supposed to be in the position where one whistle can can swing it for you or two whistles can swing it for you. You know, that's supposed to be what it's the underdog that needs everything to go right. It shouldn't be the favorite. And that's what Canada was, at least on paper in this in in these games. So, yeah. And I think in terms of, you know, pitch better in this case was a have a better, more complete plan to deal with the checks inside out uh, strategy. And, you know, part of that is definitely roster limitations. Uh, but also there were just some quick shots in the first half. And and Nick Nurse alluded to it post-game, said they were sort of baited into, you know, early shots in the possession, in the shot clock. Um, and that's where I get to what I think we're going to spend a lot of this time talking about is just having guys who know how to play together. And there's, you know, there's a reason Canada came out slowly and had to adjust in all three of these games. Yeah. And certainly, you know, as far back as when they told us that they weren't playing exhibition games, you know, we had been at least mildly critical of that, you know, recognizing of course that it's a pandemic and those things cost money and logistically maybe it wasn't really possible, but you know, a two-week training camp, and then you have the third game you're playing as a group is a single elimination game uh, is not ideal, especially when, yeah, there were five or six guys from that 2015 team on this roster, um, but there was only one from 2019. Like, I don't remember what it was like to play with some guy five or six years ago um, under a different head coach with everyone playing different roles. Um, you know, other than Wiggins, I guess, who who kind of effectively slotted back into the top scorer role. Um, and, and he's even a guy where, like, he did this in a couple games. He was he was their best and most effective scorer. Like, Wiggins and Barrett did what they're supposed to do and carried the scoring load. But I thought Wiggins, like, was maybe the most guilty of, uh, individually, of just not being into the game early and kind of waiting until he really had to to turn it on. Now, having yeah. said that, he was also probably their second best player in the tournament. So uh, it doesn't fall on him. He was also in foul, quasi-foul trouble against the Czechs, I will say. Yeah, Um, 
yeah, I made the joke on Twitter that he, he picked up an early third foul and it was three more plays than I remember him being involved in. Um, but he was awesome down the stretch and awesome as a scorer in general. So, you know, I guess the, the big takeaway here is for so long with Canada basketball, we talked, you know, they went from not having enough talent to then having enough talent, but the talent doesn't show up. And now the talent does show up. And I've saw people making comments about the the turnout not being good enough or guys not being committed enough or whatever. You had eight NBA players on this roster. It is incredibly unrealistic to think that injuries and contract status and young guys on developing teams and stuff like that are ever going to be able to commit with 100% turnout. Um, And I think what this tournament showed is that that's not enough on its own anyway. Like, sure, maybe with Shea and Jamal Murray, they, they... run things here um, because those are very, very good players or, or Dylan Brooks or Kelly Olynyk, but they got the turnout. Like on paper, Canada was better than any of the other, these other teams based on the talent of their individual players. And that didn't do it. So um, I think now, you know, we've kind of gone through these phases as, as Canada basketball tries to rebuild since 2000, where it's like, okay, well, we need talent. Okay. Well, we need talent to turn out. Okay, well, now we need talent to turn out consistently so there's some level of connectivity and, you know, chemistry with that group year over year. My question for you, Eric, is, is that possible? Because not only will things like contract statuses and free agency and injuries happen every year, there's also, you know, like, if you want these teams to play have longer camps and play more exhibition games, then the ask you're making of these NBA players and agents and teams is larger as well. Um, you know, we're heading right into the next Olympic cycle next year. And I guess, is that is that continuity going to be possible? Because we saw for this last era that, like, it was Corey and Tristan, and then it was Corey, Kelly, and Dwight. And, you know, it certainly looked in this tournament like, Corey might be at the end of his utility as a, a starting level point guard at this level. I don't know, man. It is uh like are are we talking about the same stuff in 2024? Yeah, so this is the question I basically asked in my column. Um and Nick I asked it to Nick Nurse, and he basically said the important thing is to have a core group, but is that possible? Um and, and like you can look at the sort of if, you, if you're going to the mid to early 20 guys that were guys in their 20s that were so excited about that, you know, Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, uh, RJ Barrett, uh, Lou Dort, there are reasons why you think they'd all be more committed than not, right? Like Murray has always indicated that. But he didn't play in 2019. Uh, I, I forgot if that was an injury situation, but nobody played in 2019. Yeah, that, that was an injury. I think, he, I think he had an ankle. Yeah. I remember talking Basically, to him at, yeah. at OVO Center. Like, that was one where I think it was him and Dylan Brooks and RJ were all there, but not officially yeah. there. RJ is the general manager's son, so you would expect, you know, him to play more often than not. Lou Dort is a competitive maniac, so you would expect him to air on the side of playing. Uh, and then there's uh, Alexander Walker and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who are cousins, and you would expect that they want to play, but uh, and just to play together. And these guys seem to have a, a real closeness, uh, and they want more 
reps to play together and like Nick Nurse spoke about like when this group gets together there is a you know a warmth and all of that but no matter how much they in theory want to play like we listen Blake and I uh, we listen to Ken Birch say yeah I'm gonna be there yeah I'm gonna be there and then like obviously this isn't to criticize Ken Birch but this is a guy who in his head was very, very committed to Canada basketball. And then he looked at the reality of a free of free agency, no matter how much it seems like the Raptors might bring him back, like there are no guarantees, and he couldn't play. Or, or, or what, not, what's the old Dwayne what's the old Dwayne Caseyism? If ifs and buts were candy and nuts? Yeah. Uh not couldn't play, but chose not to for reasons I think that, you know, People will criticize, and, you know, the counter to that is Corey Joseph played, and he has a very lightly guaranteed contract for for next season. So it was possible to play. Uh, We don't know what the Pistons have told him legally or otherwise. Um, But guys are going to be in this situation repeatedly. So what does it mean to have a committed core? Like... Is it eight guys and four of those guys are always there? Is it the same five guys? Because I don't think the same five guys you can ever say are definitely going to be there. Um, so I think what you're hoping is you identify those 10 guys and you hope for it's a year where there's more than 50% turnout. Turnout. But again, that the very you know nature of like those guys changing from year to year means that the roles will change within a given year. And when you talk about, like, the best example I can think of is the golden age in Argentina. You had Scola and Ginobili and Prigioni. Uh, am I making... No, Prigioni... Prigioni's Argentine, Argentine, right? Or is he Italian? He is Argentine-Italian, yeah. yeah. He's both. Yeah, yeah. But I'm pretty um, sure he played internationally for Argentina. Right. Yeah, you had those guys filling those roles uh, consistently, and they knew how to play off of each other. And yesterday, you saw a team that returned nine players from the from the World Cup, and they knew how to execute their game plan more quickly than Canada did. And it's a huge hurdle. Are we good? So, to get back to your question. I hope not, but it's possible that we're still going to be talking about this in 2024. And I think, you know, skepticism as, you know, every time around, I want to say this is the year you got to believe because if we follow sports and don't believe, why are we following sports? But skepticism is warranted. Sure is. Um, So I guess another question for you, Eric, this is more on the, you know, let's let's look a little more tactically at. The roster and the talent pool, and you know we can say that continuity will go a long way, and talent turning out will go a long way, and those things are true. Um, but Canada had some weaknesses in this tournament, and they're ones that I think are kind of hard to address with roster construction because you're going to want, you know, so often you're going to want at least with eight or nine of your twelve roster spots to just have the best guys. Yeah. And, you know, maybe 11-12 are, are specialist spots. You know, that's what we thought Andrew Nicholson might play until none of the bigs turned out. So so Nicholson was thrust into a, into a bigger rotation role. And that was, you know, Michael Mulder kind of played that shooting specialist role if shooting specialists never saw the floor or got touches. Um, 
So I look at this team, and I think there were three three things that stood out from a skill and talent standpoint that I don't know just commitment and you know turnout uh, resolve on their own. And I think the first one is three point shooting. Um, you know, they're Canada probably if that tournament was eighty two games long would have been a better three point shooting team than that. But they're not a great three point shooting group. Um, in general, the second one is that the program is a little thin at point guard. Corey Joseph looks like he's, you know, I mean, he should be not he's quite on the back. Yeah. Back end of his, uh, high utility. Yeah, he, uh, like he's, he's not quite ready for the Dorna camp role, but you know, he's probably a little better suited to coming off the bench uh, at that level uh, and being kind of a, a vet leader and floor general and stuff. Um, he was not able to, to do a lot as the lead point guard um, in that series offensively. And there isn't, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker had a very good tournament, but he's not a natural point guard. Um, unless we think Shea is going to show up, obviously that that fixes a lot at point guard. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, but there aren't a ton of point guards in the pipeline. Trey Bill Haynes ba- barely played. He, he's a really solid guy. You, you've got some guys like um, Keza Keen internationally who, who could potentially figure in later. Kevin Pangos, who, who's always been a commit. Um, but if you look ahead, if you look around the NBA talent and the top EuroLeague talent, and you look around what's coming up in the pipeline, you know, I've watched these first two U19 World Cup games, and they are running Ryan Nembart into the ground because they Andrew. have... No. Oh, Ryan. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, the younger yeah, yeah. My bad. My bad. Yes. Uh, Andrew Nembard is no longer U19. Yeah, he's not under 19. Yeah. I, that's um, why I was confused seeing the yes. Nembard name pop up in the under 19. Yeah. Uh, um, I was like, that guy's 21. They're <laughs> running Nembard into the ground because on that roster too, he's the only natural point guard. I think this morning he didn't take a sit until the until late in the third quarter. And the I think they played 10 minutes with him not on the floor, and they had seven turnovers. Um, so this is like, like point guard is the position of weakness when you look at the developmental pipeline. Um, and then the third thing is is bigs, and that's not something you can really just fix. Um, just grow a seven footer. I God mean, damn hey, it. Zach Eady is like seven foot five. So it's fine. But he's you know I, I think Charles Bidiaco is the the better. Big man prospects coming up, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think, I guess what I'm going at is the the point guard pipeline is a little thinner than other positions. There are lots of good wings coming up. They they have a lot of wings to choose from already, uh, but the big man position is the one where like I think universal turnout is the most important because the drop off after the first couple centers that they have is is pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm most concerned because, like, if you look at this tournament, Canada has Andrew Wiggins and RJ Barrett, and with the exception of maybe a guy like Chetty Osman, there are no players like that in this tournament. Like, that's where Canada's advantage is. It's like athletic, shot creating, speed, wings. speed, athleticism, um, and. That's where Canada's most depth is, but but that's, you know, the NBA. Those are the best guys to have. Um, and but but 
how that relates is like I think you know they're not point guards but they have playmaking skills so I think you know a good coach can you know create can can find ways to create even if you're a bit thinner at point guard than you are uh on the wing uh with that creation uh ability speaking of good coaches Eric Nick Nurse committed to Canada basketball through this Olympic cycle. He was non-committal after the game, as you'd expect about his future with the program. Said he loves coaching, said he wants to see this team be the best it can be. Do you expect Nick Nurse to continue on with Canada basketball? I'm always hesitant to predict anything with Canada basketball. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much he was getting paid. I don't know what their budget is. I can't imagine it was a lot, knowing Canada basketball. Um. If I had to guess, I'd say yes. I, I think he like genuinely loves coaching, and if he committed after these, you know, coaching some more <laughs> after the the last two Raptor seasons and how complicated they were, just from a practical point of view, I, I think if he, you know, a more predictable schedule, knock on wood. <laughs> um, would make it a more enticing job. Uh, but I don't know. Um, uh, you know, we, we know that MLSE and Canada basketball have a pretty good relationship. Wink, wink. Um, so I, I, if I had to bet, I'd say yes. Uh, but, and I know some people were critical of Nurse late game, or not late game, throughout the game. And, you know, when a team starts poorly three games in a row, that's not without its merit. Um, I, I I have trouble blaming him for too much in, in this tournament. Uh, I, I don't think there was, you know, other than maybe Mulder, uh, who I would have liked to see a bit more against a lot of those zones. Uh, I, I don't think... He used the wrong guys. I don't think the strategy was obviously way off. Like, they were obviously just... They couldn't find a good way to cover up for the size depth. And that goes back to your previous... Or the, not the size depth, the size mismatch. And that goes back to the question you asked before this. And, and that's where I'm I'm most concerned. Because it's great to have, like, six nine power forwards as center. And that allows you to get out in transition and, and all those good things. But when a team is controlling the half court like the Czechs were yesterday and is doing basically every... It said Canada had 14 fast break points. I remember like four. Um, so, but but when they're like shutting that tap off, then it's, you know, pretty useful to have a seven footer in there to be able to defend, if not straight up, then with less help than Canada was giving Powell or Lyles or Nicholson. And... I think that's going to be a major issue going forward. As for Nurse, I don't know. If I had to bet, I would bet he'll be back. But we will see. All right. So what does it look like from here? Logistically, this is what the next kind of condensed Olympic cycle looks like because we're working with a three-year Olympic cycle after these games instead of a a four-year one. So the next step in the process is the 2022 America's Championship. Those are held in September 2022. So right away you've got, hey, they're going to be in a close time zone. The travel uh, requirement isn't going to be too arduous. Assuming the NBA sticks to their normal schedule as they intend to, 
then, you know, September is kind of the best time uh, for NBA commitment when, you know, you've had your break postseason, you've had some injury recovery time, you're still a couple weeks out from training camp, so it can almost be like a ramp-up event for you, whereas when the World Cup's in China, that's very difficult with the travel component, but a FIBA Americas championship uh, is a little simpler. That tournament does not have a host yet. Hosting a tournament costs money. As Canada Basketball learned with this one, uh, Canada Basketball has not historically had a lot of money. I do wonder if maybe when selecting hosts, FIBA would give some consideration to the fact that Canada put in to host this one and didn't really get to host it in the way that they would have hoped or FIBA would have hoped or or what the intention is with FIBA spreading around um, the events. Do you could you see Canada hosting that one? I think it's unlikely. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, just because Canada didn't get the full benefit of this hosting hosting this tournament doesn't mean they'll suddenly have more money to like it still costs money uh, to to uh, host this tournament Drake, and come and, through, and, man. and maybe even more money than it yeah. would have cost otherwise. Uh, the OVO uh, Americas. Uh, yeah, just put it in, uh, just put it at, uh, OVO. That'd be great. Um, I, I bet against it. Uh, I would be shocked if it, if it's in Canada. I don't know any other way to answer that question based on Canada basketball's history. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah. Uh, So for if people, I mean, the America's Championship is a legitimate major tournament. It's always a lot of fun. It's something the team should take pride in. So don't, don't write that. Like, this is not the hey, they're playing two games in the Dominican Republic with a bunch of guys pulled out of, like, second and third tier Euro teams or, or like, Anthony Bennett, who hasn't played in a year, suiting up. Um, Bennett looks fine-ish, by the way. I don't know. I'd like to see him back in the G League next year to see if he can yeah. pick up where he left off in 2019. He, had, he, had, he, had no, he was no Blake Schilb, who also basically took the year off. Yeah. I... Uh, also, very embarrassing. I spelt Blake Shilb's name wrong in my piece last night. His first and, name? And not the Shilb part. Yeah. <laughs> Sanaya messaged me, our, uh, our editor, Sanaya. Um, yeah, she messaged me and she's like, I thought this was a really cool name, Black Shilb. Like, like maybe, <laughs> maybe thinking it was like Raw Gunna on the Korean team or something like that. And nope, I just spelt my own name wrong. Balake. Yeah, oops. Um, so, the, the America's tournament is not only valuable um, because it's a, a fun tournament and it's worth winning, seven teams from that tournament punched their ticket to the 2023 World Cup. 
Now, the World Cup, as we talked about in 2019, to some basketball countries is the marquee event. Canada and the U.S. have kind of a uh, Olympic-centric look on, on the major international sports. A lot of the European and South American countries, the World Cup is the event. It's a bigger event with 32 teams. It's much harder to win because, you know, you can you can lose a game like Canada couldn't do against the Czech, but you got to win a lot more too. It's a longer tournament. It's a deeper tournament. Um, it's a longer time commitment because, you know, those games could play out over the course of a month. It's, uh, it's a big one. And as Canada knows all too well... There are some Olympic bursts on the line in the World Cup. So you have the Americas, which feed into the World Cup the following year. And in the World Cup, if they keep the Olympic qualification the same for 2024, the top two placing teams from the Americas in the World Cup would then qualify for the Olympics. I think at this point, Canada's probably pretty tired of these last chance Olympic qualifiers and would much rather get in by being one of the top two Americas teams at the World Cup. So... You can see a path where we've got this 2021 Olympic cycle that came up short. And then they do 2022 Americas, which fall at a location and a time window that's a little better for turnout. And then that feeds into the 2023 World Cup, which then, hey, maybe you jump right to the Olympics in 2024. And you could see how if things break right, Canada basketball still manages to build this momentum we've been hoping for despite this 2021 misstep again. However, the path, the other path is one we've relived every four-year cycle. So um, it's not a, it's not a guaranteed thing. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like the top seven team for teams from the FIBA America Cup go to the World Cup. So like Canada should get there. But I think the value is what you laid out. It's a longer tournament. And as we were just talking about like the need to get uh, the need to get reps uh, for a core group of players. Like, you know, whether or not Canada qualifies uh, for the World Cup, even if that's not really in significant doubt, those reps give you a better chance, as we just saw, to maybe be one of the top two finishers among the Americas in the World Cup and qualify straight for the Olympics. Yeah, and, 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 and on top and of you which, can't we, just we talk th- about the chemistry and con- and continuity and stuff. Well, maybe you play 10 games in the America Cup, and then you play eight or nine in the World Cup, and suddenly all these guys who have zero caps together, like I think Canada had three players that, that have never played for the senior national team yeah. in this tournament. And, you know, uh, Dorna Camp has double what anyone else has. Um, You know, suddenly you've got these guys who maybe it's not the exact same group of guys and maybe it's not, you know, super, you know, everyone in the same role and stuff like that. But even if it's not the same group of guys, you're then pulling from a pool of guys with 10 or 15 or 18 games of senior national experience. Yeah. And you hope it's like the coach, the coaching staff has some consistency and, to the extent that you can, you know, we're not going to go through every player's contract situation here. That's sort of a year you know, by year uh, thing. Yeah. Um, but you hope there's enough consistency from a roster standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, that that gives you the equity to leverage that in in bigger situations like a you know a quarterfinal in the world cup if they should get there or a last chance tournament if they end up there so they're not always battling 
from that experience deficit and and um and that cohesion deficit and like those are the two things that you know Canada can only lose to more experienced more cohesive teams that are less talented so many times before we draw conclusions that those things are pretty important and and that Canada's depth while you know clearly quote unquote better than a lot of other countries is not so great and the individual talent is not so elite that they can necessarily get by without giving thought and 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 gaining some of that experience and cohesion and that's why next summer's tournament will be important and then the world cup speak will speak for itself um one last question uh, about the senior team and it's the most awkward one to discuss and it you know came up a little bit when Canada put that moonshot roster list out in 2019 and then no one actually showed up um, it's an awkward one because obviously RJ Barrett at this stage is one of if not the most important player to what they want to do here um, Rowan Barrett as the GM is is that something that you think will be revisited <sighs> Again, like, I I don't Look, know... betting on inertia is always a good bet, if, if that's where you're going with this. Yeah, like, I... Like, what did, what did he do wrong with assembling this roster? And did he not get, like, a great or, or a very good coach to lead that roster? I... I I don't think there's a huge appetite for change, especially when we're coming, like we come out of this tournament looking at like the the main problem with Canada basketball is that Lack constant change. Like, yeah. like if he were doing an obviously poor job in recruiting and in, in setting that foundation, then I'd say, yeah, change it up. But I, uh, he obviously likes the job or I shouldn't say obviously but I think he did a good enough job to get this to to get the most talent on the floor he got a good NBA coach and you know I I know there are whispers behind the scenes about about him sometimes but you end up it's about personnel that job is about getting the best personnel you can and I don't think and again while we may like be angry or, or upset that this wasn't the absolute best roster. I think it's not a fail. Like I wrote in, in my column, this isn't a failure of talent. And that's true on the player side. That's true on the uh, coaching side. It's a failure to adequately develop the program um, and, and make it more cohesive. And is that part of Barrett's job? Sure. But that's also just something that takes time and is a structural thing that goes beyond the job of the general manager of the senior men's national team. Yeah. Here's the real answer. Hire me in some nebulous Lee Jenkins-like role to help foster uh, commitment and turnout and player development. And I'll just, just, hey, I'll just write cool stories about whatever Lee Jenkins does for the Clippers. Let me yeah. let me do that for for Canada basketball. Lee Jenkins is a storyteller, man. Yeah. Um, the the Clippers storyteller. So let's end on a little bit of positivity. 
obviously there is a continued growth in the pool of players that Canada is pulling from. Um, you know, we, we could, the list we had in our original Raptors reasonable list months, months ago was like 50 or 60 names long that they could be pulling from. And there are more names coming up. They had three U19 guys in senior camp with them before sending them back to the U19 team. Uh, as mentioned, the U19 team's off to a 2-0 start and, you know, is headed for if everything goes well. You know, there's a semifinal matchup with the U.S. that looks like it's in their way. Maybe there's a tougher quarterfinal matchup on their way, but they beat Lithuania, which was their, their toughest pool stage game. Um, and that team has guys who are probably lottery picks in each of the next three drafts and this upcoming draft has a couple guys that are possibly you know the second rounder slash two-way type of guys there's talent coming uh the other and like look at a guy like dort like he came out of you know kind of nowhere and there will be more guys like this yeah. that too yeah shout out to josh primo and and aj lawson like the two biggest winners of the combine slash g league elite camp cycle um to where i think they're probably both going to stay in the draft now um, the deadline for that is the 7th, by the way, so we'll know a little bit more about that uh, later this week. And then the other area for positivity, and we try to mention this as much as possible, and we'll be writing about this team at the Olympics as well, is that the women's program remains in pretty good shape. The, Let's go! The 12-person roster that they put out for the Olympics is a very, very good one on paper. Um, Kim Smith-Gauche was, was able to, you know, the IOC finally bent on allowing breastfeeding mothers to bring their infants to Tokyo, which is one of those extremely obvious decisions that IOC had to make seem like the, the toughest decision in the world. Look, whenever the IOC ends up making the right decision, let's just call it a win and move on. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. They, um, anyway. The hope is that Natalia Chan was healthy in time. She, she's been out with a, a minor knee injury for the Minnesota Lynx. Um, you've got Kia Nurse and Bridget Carlton, and these, you know, there is... The women's side has a great mix of youth and developmental pieces. Um, Letitia Amaher from South Carolina, um, who's, who's on the kind of younger and higher ceiling side. Um, you have this good mix of veteran program experience and players on the upswing of their development curve to where there's some upside there. Um, the last couple major tournaments... Canada has kind of bounced in that four to eight range where, hey, it's the, the U.S. up top and then some combo of Australia, Spain, France, um, not dissimilar from what it looks like at the top of the men's pool. Um, but Canada's right there. And Canada enters this tournament ranked fourth in the world. You know, the like on the men's side, there is a lot of there is not a lot of separation for between maybe like, let's say, two to seven. So it's entirely possible this is a quarterfinals run and that's where it ends. But it's also entirely possible that the Canadian women are competing for a medal in Tokyo. And I think, you know, if you had the enthusiasm and passion for the men's side, hoping they uh, qualify for the Olympics, uh, don't sleep on the fact that the women are there and the women have a longer track record of success in these events. And, you know, the sort of stability, like they're a great, they're a great blueprint for what the men's side eventually wants to be able to do in terms of, blending experience and youth and you know in their case WNBA versus NBA talent um so yeah it's uh yeah like if you shape. remember the 2012 Olympics the London Olympics when the women's soccer team made that run and had that super memorable game against the United States like I've always sort of hoped that 
for that for the women's program it didn't quite materialize in 2016 but they're as you said they're right there they have you know i don't think anybody's beat in the united states but they have the talent to go up against any other country in the world and you just hope that uh they have that sort of run in them because when that happens it's freaking magical um and it's why we follow sports so uh pay attention to them we're going to do our best to uh cover them and, and uh give you more insight into uh what we hope is one of the better stories of the tokyo olympics assuming they still happen which they probably will wait assuming what the tokyo olympics happen uh they're gonna happen but you know there's still a pandemic going on. Okay, so, I was uh, I was gonna say yeah. There have been three positive COVID tests already as athletes arrive. Yeah, um, it'll be. Fu- it's gonna happen. I I'm just you know it's uh, in the year of our Lord 2021. I am uh, uh, always hedging my bets. Uh, by the way, for format purposes, uh, the women's side follows the same format as the men. So Canada's in a group with South Korea, Serbia, and Spain. The top two teams from group play move on, as well as the best two of the three third place teams. So um, this is a situation where with apologies to the Lithuanian U19 team that was very upset at Ryan Nembard scoring with the lead with one second left on the clock, point differential matters. You got to run that score up uh, if you can. Um, Canada tips off on July 26th against Serbia. Uh, They then play the 29th against South Korea and August 1st against Spain. Uh, The quarterfinals... Uh, and onward would then run August 4th to August 8th. So keep an eye out for that. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Man. Hope we're not doing this again in uh, three years. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, maybe I'll be... Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll be a naturalized citizen of another, of another national program at that point. I, I'm going to pull up Blake Shilb and uh, <laughs> adopt a different... Home country, so I can I can actually F- cover an Olympics. <laughs> Find a nice Czech girl to settle down with. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, Czech's Czech's not the team I would I would hitch my horse to for for no. I mean, they've this never made the Olympics. So this is a yeah. the Olympic tournament. So this is a huge game for them. Yeah, I'm kind of torn. Like, I want the Czechs to win today for that reason, and like Sadoransky's cool, and, and the Blake Shilb story is great, and and I've always had an affinity for. Jan Vesely, and then, um, you know, the the big man who looks like uh, they put Myrtle in a... Uh, they did experiments on uh, on James Myrtle, uh, Andres Balvin. Um, and yeah, Eric, I'm, I can see the look on your face. I'm taking that joke from the DMs to the podcast. I, did, I didn't tweet it, though, because Myrtle won't know who Andres Balvin is, and our basketball... Re- anyone who knows who Andres Balvin is uh, might not know who James Myrtle is, but... Um, yeah, but I'm also... You know, the Greece fans, the Greek fans were pretty, like, down on their luck. And with the turnout and Spanulis retiring and stuff, and then you look ahead to the Olympics and, you know, maybe they get a guy back or something like that. I- I'm torn on, on tonight's game. Well, as somebody who lives near the Danforth, I, I need the least chances for excitement, the better. I-, I don't want any sort of, you know, risk of chaos in this Look, uh, in this area. I think soccer would do it over basketball, yeah. don't get me wrong, but uh you know, I, I'm I, I want to play it safe here. Go check. Wow. Turning your back <laughs> on your, your own neighborhood. Unbelievable. Um Well little Prague will be rocking though. Yeah. Uh all right. That's uh that's it for 
this Canada basketball um, podcast wrap. Obviously, a, a disappointing outcome, um, but some some reason to look ahead to the U nineteen World Cup that's ongoing. The the women's basketball team uh, in the Olympics a little later on. Um, yeah, I don't have uh, I don't have much more to say. Yeah, we'll be talking heading into the draft. I'm sure that will be yeah. probably our next time. Uh doing this yeah the athletic.com slash we the six if you're not already subscribed to um, the written side of the site and i'm just gonna rant for one second here a little bit because we talked about it a little bit last episode um and maybe not in as certain terms as we could have especially with canada day having just passed um there is absolutely a dissonance between rooting for um the these athletes that have Canada on the front of their jerseys and are united by their Canadian citizenship and not being particularly happy with um, Canada as a country and a government right now. Um, You saw the Canadian men's team wearing the orange patch on the shoulder of their jersey to recognize and show respect to Indigenous peoples. Um, You know, we all need to go a lot further than that the history of this country is built on indigenous genocide. And and as they continue to, um, you know, uncover the unmarked graves of the, these mass graves from residential schools and the truth and reconciliation commission becomes uh, a talking point again, strongly urge you to check out resources that I've tweeted or or retweeted Eric. I think you did as well. Um, You know, even things like, Hey, we included some land acknowledgements in Uh, The articles we did, because those games are taking place on um, indigenous land out in Victoria, um, engage with that stuff because there is, I I think we can hold two thoughts at the same time. I think we can try to hold our country accountable for um, the historic atrocities while also, you know, looking at 12 basketball players who come from the same place as us and and hoping they do well. Um, I think we can hold both of those thoughts at the same time. But if you're, especially if you're feeling some dissonance as, as you root for um, a group of players wearing Canada on the front, engage with that stuff, read the Truth of, Truth of Reconciliation Commission reports, um, you know, educate yourself. There's a lot of relearning to do um, that we, we don't traditionally get brought up hearing about um, the history of this country's treatment and the present of this country's treatment of Indigenous peoples yeah. is... Uh, really a shame and needs reconciling. So um, just wanted to end on that note because... Lots of good places to donate to, um, if you can afford to. I'm not in the business of telling people how to spend their money other than... Forget that. Uh, but if you have if you have the disposable income uh, or, or just a few bucks, every, every dollar counts uh, and, and can help uh, further these... So it's weird to even call them causes, just like to help us be a better country yeah. uh, like that that's what it's about you want like we have canada day be proud of canada but also acknowledge like if you're just, if that pride is getting in the way of acknowledging some hugely hugely you know beyond problematic aspects of the country uh then you're not even proud of your country like you're just proud of an idea that doesn't exist yeah. so uh and, and yeah. for for more information you can go to nctr.ca slash records slash reports uh the truth and reconciliation commission reports are there um some stuff on the the um, residential school bodies that are being found a lot of additional resources uh, including some free pdfs uh to help continue learning about that 
Um, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you again probably not this coming week, but uh, the, well, unless this comes out on Monday instead of Sunday, then we are talking to you this week. Um, but the following week, maybe, or, or the week after that, to talk some draft stuff. The draft is July 29th. The Raptors have picked number 4, 46, and 47. Uh, and again, we'll be uh, we'll be covering a little bit the U19 team and then the women's uh, Olympic team when that starts up. Eric, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Blake. Go Chucks. See ya! Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.